hello, hello, and welcome in to the inaugural edition of the Sports Geeky Podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer. I've already received some complaints about the name. I had a good friend of mine tell me the other night he thinks it needs to be workshopped. I take grave offense to that. I mean, to me, a kiki is fun. And what's more fun than a podcast? The conversation flows. The drinks flow. We are publishing on Saturdays. We will publish every Saturday here at Out Sports, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Megaphone, wherever podcasts can be found. Just make sure to subscribe to the Out Sports podcast feed. Download the show as well. The Sports Kiki podcast will be here every Saturday. As I mentioned, it's a kiki. It's fun. It's the weekend. I thought that was an appropriate name. And unfortunately, there's not much more we can do about it because, well, we have a Twitter account and Twitter accounts are permanent. Yes, follow us at Sports Kiki Pod on Twitter. That is at Sports Kiki Pod on Twitter. I will tell you that I am taking submissions for a different theme song. Maybe that can be the first uh, Sports Kiki listener contest, if you will. If you have an idea for a theme song, if you want to make a personalized Sports Kiki theme song, let's have a Kiki. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Email me. Get in touch with me. So there. That can be our first listener contest. Listener theme song submissions. I don't mind our little rock tune, but I understand. If you feel something else fits the kiki mold better, let me know. Uh, It's pretty cool for me to be back here podcasting, uh, especially this way. This is how I started my uh, ascendant media career. Uh, hosted a Red Sox podcast when I was 12 years old. Yes, as squeaky and high-pitched as my voice may sound to you now, it sounded uh, eh, even, a little, even a little squeakier uh, 15, 16 years ago at this point. Uh, I continued hosting my Red Sox podcast, the app we titled Without a Curse. We launched it in 2005, one year after the curse was broken. There you go. Very smart people. Um, continued that through college. I had many strange moments in college. Uh with my podcast, I used to have unfettered access to uh, Boston University's College of Communication because I hosted a radio show, and obviously, you know, sometimes we had shows outside of school hours, so anybody on the radio station got uh, unfettered access. We had a special key card to the school, which allowed me, oftentimes, to go into the middle of the night and record my Red Sox podcast in empty classrooms, empty hallways. Uh, I didn't want to bother my roommates, so I went to... A uh, empty classroom building in the wee hours of the night to record my podcast. Sometimes when I was still locked out of that said building, I would record outside on a park bench in random spots across BU's campus, which I'm sure was uh, a strange sight for people walking by, seeing a kid with a headset uh, screaming about uh, Bobby Valentine <laughs> on his on a park bench outside of the university. So uh, long story short, I'm excited to get back to it. Sports Geeky Podcast published every Saturday, as I mentioned. Uh, this is not my first foray hosting an LGBTQ podcast, and I actually feel like I should spend a minute or two introducing myself formally here to the Outsports audience. I know that we did that a month ago when I came on board, and hopefully you've been reading my stuff, enjoying the stuff, and all the great pieces we have at Outsports. I think this is a great team, and I'm so happy to be a part of it, but... uh Prior to this, I was at WEI for nearly three years, a sports talk behemoth in Boston. 
Um, one of my many duties there as a quote-unquote brand personality, which no one really ever explained to me what that meant. Um, I hosted shows, wrote columns for the website. Um, I also hosted an LGBTQ podcast titled Two Outs with my good friend Steve Buckley. He's a longtime Boston sports columnist, now works for The Athletic. I am certain we'll get Buck on here in the very near future. Uh, our show, Two Outs, um, I enjoyed doing it. We spent a lot of time talking about hot-button Issues in the LGBTQ sports community, interviewing out athletes. We had on Jason Collins. We had on Dante Stallworth, who used to be anti-gay and then turned to and then turned into a really great ally and advocate for the LGBT uh, community, especially in the sports context. So I think we had a lot of really interesting interviews. I'd like to replicate that here on this show, and you know, I really intend to talk about the biggest issues facing our community, especially in the sports context, and really focusing on the media coverage of these stories as well, because, you know, I think how the media covers issues means a lot in terms of how we interpret them, and really immersing myself in this world and contributing to the coverage um, is one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to involve myself without sports and why I was so thrilled when they offered me the deputy manager position last month because, uh, you know, I have a, I've had a lot of – been fortunate to have a lot of experiences in my media career so far. But, you know, as I've grown older, I came out when I was 20 years old, so the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year in college. But, you know, it wasn't until a couple of years after the fact until I really started to – embrace my gay identity, for lack of a better term, and really started to immerse myself in the LGBTQ community here in Boston, my home city, and get involved online with people and try to connect with others who are like me. And it's just been so powerful, and it's been such a powerful experience these last few years because, you know, I really think the genesis of all friendship is just the question, oh, you too? Like, oh, you you're dealing with the same stuff that I'm dealing with. And I just think it's so powerful and so meaningful to connect with like-minded folks, which is, again, a big reason why I finally decided to immerse myself in the LGBTQ community. And really, that's what I think the the mission statement of OutSports is. We are, above all else, trying to build a community. I think Sid Ziegler and Jim Bozinski, the two co-founders, have done an incredible job over the last decade plus of doing exactly that. We've transitioned to a new era of OutSports with a new managing editor, Don Ennis, you will hear momentarily as my first guest on the show. Very excited about that. I think it's a conversation you will all enjoy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, OutSports is about building a community, and this is a community that has already given me so much in my short time uh, involving myself in it. Um, and, you know, I just think because sports can really be a powerful tool for inclusion. Um, unfortunately, they've been used to exclude members of the community uh, for far too long, and they've been made to single out members of the community for far too long. But we're changing that. And on a weekly basis, I mean, you guys know, you girls know, you folks out there know, um, you know, we publish stories about out-athletes, athletes who were closeted, were afraid of coming out, only to find that they were totally embraced by all of their teammates, whether it's football players or tennis players or hockey players or gymnasts or go on down the line, any kind of sport, we cover it. But really about the person more than the sport itself at OutSports. So I think it's just a great community. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Um, and it's it's a, with still with a lot of issues to sort through and a lot of interesting topics to sort through. And I think that leads me to 
our first interview of the show in Sports Kiki history with the aforementioned great Don Ennis, who is a fantastic, fantastic uh, managing editor. I've worked with a few editors in my day, and though we've only been together for a short while, uh, she is really great, supportive, and you can ask nothing more uh, of an editor than that. Um, and as I said with Don, you know, I think the most polarizing LGBTQ issue today uh, is transgender inclusion, especially for our purposes in the sports world. Uh, I wrote a column on the website this week about the war that's being waged against transgender student athletes across the country, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to call it that, a war. At least 10 states now are actively considering policies that would prevent trans student athletes from participating in sports according to their gender identity. So, you know, we have a situation where a large swath of the young trans population could be denied the opportunity to play sports, to play sports with their peers, uh, to play sports and feel comfortable about who they are. Uh, and that, that is just a fundamental thing that I think all kids should at least have the ability to experience, to feel comfortable on a playing field, to feel comfortable on the court, feel comfortable on the ice, etc. So I think it's a very important topic. It touches all sorts of bases. Uh, so very excited to speak with Don Ennis about that, get her perspective on it on a, as a trans woman herself, um, and also talk a little bit about Martina Navratilova, the other one of the other major stories that I've covered so far at Outsports is a situation that happened at the Australian Open in the Margaret Court Arena. Martina has been an, a long-standing uh, opponent of that arena name, wanting Tennis Australia to change the name of Margaret Court Arena due to, uh, well, uh, Court's uh, vehement uh, anti-LGBT statements um, in the past and, for Martina's purposes, LGB statements because, of course, Martina also has a history of some anti-trans commentary herself, including a tweet just last week uh, ripping a prominent university in the United Kingdom for their inclusive trans policies in terms of sports. So the question is then, how do you cover somebody like Martina Navratilova, who on one hand is a trailblazer, I mean, she came out as lesbian uh, decades ago when the environment was far, far different than it is today. Uh, in fact, Margaret Court said in 1990 that Martina Navratilova should not be a role model for kids because she is an openly gay woman because she is a lesbian. So that's the kind of history we're dealing with with Martina. And I think it's very important to recognize that, especially when she does things like unfurl and wave a banner around Margaret Court Arena at the Australian Open alongside John McEnroe. But there is also the question of how do you couple her anti-trans remarks with her activism. So uh, lots of interesting questions. Very excited to speak with Don Ennis. Hopefully you enjoy the conversation as well. And then we'll reconvene on the other side. This is the Sports Kiki Podcast on OutSports. So here we have my boss, technically, OutSports Managing Editor Don Ennis. Welcome to the Reamer Sports Kiki. Really rolls off the tongue, huh? Does it not? <laughs> I love it. I, I, I consider us more colleagues, um, compatriots, compadres, yes. um, more than boss and, uh, and subordinate. But, know. you know, if you screw up, then I'm going to be your boss. Yeah, the Outsports team, it's a big, loving, a big, loving, bickering family. I love it. You know, I said, of course, there's, you know, internal drama. It's a gay sports website. What do you think? <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Did you see what she's wearing? Oh, my God. I know. Good thing we work remotely, really, or else, you know, who knows what would happen here. Um, I do say I already feel 
cooler than you because I know very little slang. Like, it's embarrassing. I live under a rock. But you didn't know what Kiki meant. So I did feel a little like, hey, I am the young guy around here. So, Well, you know, Sonny, back <laughs> in my day, we didn't have Kikis. No. We just... We lived in caves and we rode dinosaurs to school day Basically. back and forth uphill through the snow. No, I did not know what a kiki is, but my kids constantly get on my case for not knowing how to use Instagram or um, not being successful at Snapchat or, um, you know, I, the fact that I'm on Facebook alone is enough to make my kids feel as if I am a uh, Neanderthal <laughs> and I am, you know, uh, I'm a relic. Well, no one. Hey, I try. I try. No one's on there except Russian bots. I mean, you know that at this point. Come on. (laughs) What's 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 going on over there? Frankly, I I feel like that's who I'm communicating with primarily on Twitter. It got to the point when, at the end of my run at WEI, when I was just inundated with so much of the same insults. I'm like, you all are like Russian bots. You can't possibly be real. Do you think that the people who sit in their pajamas at home and use eggs and other numbers to identify themselves? Do you think they realize how ridiculous they are, or is that just, no. again, a plot by the Russians? Yeah, it's uh, A, a plot by the Russians. It always is, as I've learned from uh, Rachel Maddow, my hero. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're calling out hypocrisy. They're calling out hypocrisy. But, uh, hey, Don, so I wrote a column uh, Thursday for, uh, for the site about uh, the war on transgender student-athlete participation. That's... Uh, you know, I think that's a big story we've been covering. My short time, I think that's really, you know, the big battleground right now in terms of LGBTQ rights. And, of course, the blowback has been immense. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when I say, like, that this right now, I think, is the big issue going on, that doesn't mean that the other issues aren't important. We still know there's rampant homophobia. Sid had that great piece last week about TJ Callen, the Miami running back. But, you know, I think that this is the topic that produces the most visceral divisive, polarizing reaction right now. And I think, you know, you see that every time we write about it. I see it every time I tweet about it. Yeah, right. People, pe- people love to um, call me a man. They love to um, talk about my hair or dredge up old pictures of myself from seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, um, a very vitriolic reaction to the transgender identity that I don't really understand. I imagine that Gay people must have gone through this back in the 60s and 70s right. to a certain degree where people just felt that they were, you know, the devil and sinners. And there still is, as you said, rampant homophobia. But we can walk and chew gum. We can fight for LGB rights and still fight for T rights as well. My problem, though, is is that people don't understand transgender. How can you not know what gender you are? How could you think that you're, mm. quote unquote, born in the wrong body, which isn't really the case? I try to use this analogy to help people. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, Alex. Wait but somebody me. who doesn't understand trans people ask me, what is this all about? I ask them if they're righty or lefty. Uh, Alex, are you righty or lefty? I am right-handed. If I don't you were to write like your it. name with your left hand, yes. how would that look? If I threw it, a little awkward. I mean, it looks awkward when I throw it with my right hand anyway, but even more awkward <laughs> if I were to throw it with my left. Sure. But imagine your whole life you wrote with your left hand and you did the best you could. And right. It didn't look so bad. But then I came along and I said, hey, Alex, Try writing with your right hand. And you were like, oh, my goodness, that's so natural. That's how it should be. That's what it is to be transgender. You're actually doing something that matches what your brain tells you. And it's as simple as that. The only problem with this analogy, of course, is if you're ambidextrous and that screws up everything. But we got you. It, I, you know, I think it helps explain 
what it is to be trans. Yeah, well, you know? and, and, and I mean, I think it's very similar to how I felt when I came to the full realization that, yes, I am gay. Like, oh my god, you mean it's okay to like guys and there are tons of others who do as well? You weren't the only one, but you felt, maybe at the time, you felt you're very isolated. You may have felt like nobody's going to understand me. And right. the fact is, when, when people come out, you open up an entire world of other people who are waiting for you to help you navigate this crazy existence. And I just wish people would be so, um, be a little less judgmental. Well, you know? well and, it, and it really is kind of the last frontier of where it is okay to openly demonize transgender people. I mean, even if like, like a couple weeks ago, that woman in Iowa, you know, who supported Pete in the caucus and realized he was gay and she's like, oh my God, it's such a sin. Like, I, I think even conservatives are kind of looking at her and Trump people like, I mean, what is wrong with this woman? I mean, gay, so what? I mean, I, it's, it's much more socially acceptable to, again, openly demonize trans people the way that it isn't anymore for gays and lesbians, which, you know, was, you know, as you said, back in the 60s and 70s, probably. Maybe so. I still think there is a large portion of um, America, especially in, um, let's not uh, call them elites, but let's just say outside of the major big cities on the East and West Coast, you know, I don't want to like, you know, shame Chicago or anything, but outside of the med- major metropolitan areas, there's still a large portion of our country where they think that it's against the Bible oh, sure. to be gay, right. um, to be trans, that you should, um, you know, go to hell if you're, you're a demon, if you're doing anything that's not um, prescribed, but Jesus doesn't talk about gays and Jesus doesn't talk about trans. We're all just interpreting these words from 2000 years ago to try and adjust them to our, our moral culture. I think if we all just looked at our own lives and said, Hmm, am I the person who's got nothing else in my life that people could criticize before I start criticizing others? That's something that I think even as a Jew, I can appreciate Jesus (laughs) saying, you know, judge, judge, judge yourself before you judge others. Tell me about these comments, though. What were you, what were you hit on? What did, I, I never read the comments. I try uh, to avoid it, and I try not to get. I, I've I've turned this new leaf. I used to be that person who engaged everybody because I, oh, I I have come under attack so many times social media, and I used to really just, just spend hours uh, raging against just yelling into the abyss. The it's it's such a waste of time. Well, I've gone away from it, but tell me what you're seeing. I'd like to just know. Oh, you know the typical. Oh, you know, you, you, I, I, you, I, I defend girls' sports and girls' right to compete among girls. You know, I stand up for women. I thought you liberals stood up for women. You know, shit like that. <sighs> oh boy, good accent, by the way. <laughs> That's um, pretty much what every angry uh, guy in my Twitter mentions <laughs> sounds like to me. <laughs> I, I think one of the other issues is there is a large. Um, well, let's say large. Let's say loud. There's a loud lesbian contingent that is supposedly feminist, that is very anti-trans, and they, they feel like they're the guardians of women's spaces and that trans women are just men trying to invade and destroy women's sports. Well, let's get to actually uh, Martina Navratilova, who fits under that umbrella a little bit. She's been a big topic in my month or so at Outsports with the Margaret Court protest and her banner waving with McEnroe at the Australian Open, which we covered, but you know she does have that past of some anti trans statement. She had another tweet just a few days ago, uh, railing against a, a university in the UK that has an inclusive policy. So, you know, so on that point, like, how do you view somebody as a trans woman, somebody like Martina Navratilova, who has done, you know, I mean, she came out decades ago, and it was a lot riskier, you know, than it is even now. Um, but, you know, how do you couple these two things? Well, I've come out, I've gone so far as to call her a transphobe. And okay. I know that she's wow. grown since then by having a documentary that was seen only in the, in, in the BBC. And I was actually in London to watch it. 
and she talked to trans people and she talked to scientific experts and she still dug her heels in that even if trans people exist and are real and are valid, it's still her priority to focus on, uh, she called them uh, biological women, women who are uh, born and assigned female at birth. So that's where her priority is. She's not against transgender inclusion, but she's going to pick women who were assigned female at birth before she ever says that a trans woman should be included. That's where she draws the line. Yeah. And for me, I hate to say it, but I think you know the work that Sid and I uh, and other uh, contributors at Outsports have done forced Martina to actually – she blocked us. She blocked Outsports. Did she? I, I didn't know that. Know. No. Oh, she's not, it's interesting. She didn't block me, and I've actually had conversations with her. And i got to be honest. The very first time she and I had a conversation on Twitter – I was thrilled. I'm talking to an icon, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah, of course. I, I worship her. I think she's a really amazing legend. The problem is she's also a transphobe. Mm -hmm. I think you can be a legend and a transphobe yeah. at the same time. Um, I can honor her past, but at the same time, I can't ignore it, you know? Right. So for, for me, I think that the, the line that has to be drawn is she's willing to accept us only so far. And that to me is not transgender uh, uh friendly that to me is being transphobic and i i don't think people understand even the word it doesn't mean you're afraid to be transphobic it means that you harbor an animus an animosity towards transgender people you don't accept them as equal and you also think that they don't belong in um you know the rest of sports society you think they should be excluded that's what transphobia is same with homophobia homophobia does not mean you're afraid of gay no, people, yeah, it means you not. think that they aren't as good as so-called normal people, which, oh, I hate that word. Normies. Uh, how does, Normies, yeah. How does someone, though, so like Martina, though, who, you know, obviously, again, was, you know, an openly gay tennis player in the 80s, you know, early 90s, when this was, you know, still very taboo. It's just amazing to me that somebody who has experienced that themselves and is part of this community does not sympathize with the T, so to speak. That's always struck me as, you know, a little, a little strange. Well, guess who threw that in her face? Uh, me. Um, it didn't yeah. go well. Oh, it did um, not. How'd it go? What, no, how, it how, how did the blocking go? Like, what, what, what led to this? Well, it was 2018 when she came out with a tweet that I think she actually ended up deleting, where she talked about how it's wrong um, for uh, trans people to be competing against, as she put it, women. Um, and then she said she made a mistake and she was going to go back and do some research. So she did some research, then she came out with a blog post that basically said we were cheaters. <laughs> well, thank you for doing your homework. Uh, that's not better, by the were way. Were you stealing and, signs too? <laughs> yeah, basically doubling down. So then she regretted using the word cheaters, and she took that back. And this was in the Times of London, which also has a firewall, a paywall, you know. And then she promised, or the BBC offered her to do this documentary. By the way, just a little inside baseball. I think the reason the BBC offered to do a documentary with her on this pet project of hers is because she had this tiff with the BBC about not being paid as much as McEnroe for covering the Open oh. at Wimbledon. Interesting. So I think that they threw her this little you know, self-produced documentary to sort of make up for the fact that they cheated her out of some money. Interesting. I Interesting. Could, I could be wrong, but I you got You didn't fully divulge, though. So, how did? What was everyone's reaction when you opened up the Outsports account, tried to read a tweet from Martina, and see that you've been blocked? Well, for us, it was um, very clear. She actually announced she was blocking us. Oh, okay. And uh, she blocked block. us because of our coverage of her not willing to 
accept trans women as women. And, you know, this, you know, again, Sid engaged her, I engaged her. Um, we've had other people engage her on our behalf. And I'm not going to deny it. There are some people who are trans people who can go a little bit too far in their um, defense because for us, we're fighting for our lives. And when you're fighting for your lives, you feel backed up against the corner, especially against somebody who's iconic. Sometimes you might overreact. And I think that there was an overreaction to some degree. People lost their cool. And in that kind of environment, the only response really is to just block somebody. So Rachel McKinnon got blocked. Uh, Outsports got blocked. I haven't been blocked yet. Um, but I, I still feel as if there's an opportunity here for us to try and help her. Uh, I don't want to say the word grow. How about just like open up a little bit? Yeah. I mean, she's opened up this far, but it's not nearly enough. If you were to take the trans argument and use it as a racial thing and say, look, I like black people. Fine. Black people are good. <laughs> right. I, I think they should compete in sports, but I don't want them competing against white people. Who the f- you know, right. you oh, can't I, do that. Oh, I, I've, always, I've always said that. I mean, I've always said, you know, just in terms of gay marriage, like, you know, imagine if I said, you know, oh, I have no problem with, you know, black people, but interracial marriage, nope, can't have that. You'd be like, okay, like, race, you'd be fired from basically every job ever. Uh, you know, so that, I mean, that's the analogy that I do, that I go to for all this stuff. To me, it's black and white, pardon the terrible pun. And, and, and would you believe, would you believe there's still laws in the books in the South that is against interracial marriage, even though the Supreme Court in the love yeah. uh, decision, they 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 said it, they struck it down, but it's still on the books. It seems like though on Martina, because you know I'll hear a lot, you know, like oh, you know, there's why is there a purity test? You know, someone like Martina Navratilova hasn't quite come around on the trans issues, but you know she was a trailblazer with LGB rights. It seems like though you take kind of a nuanced standpoint where you you know acknowledge what she's done and the good she's done, but also you know her short shortcomings. I do. I would say I stand alone in that. Um, mm-hmm. Sid and I, and I love Sid, um, we disagreed. Um, I felt that she should be honored when we honored um, 30 days of sports heroes in June of last year for the Stonewall anniversary. And I uh, agreed that she should be uh, called a Stonewall spirit hero. And Sid uh, responded to a, a, a bunch of trans women who are trans women athletes who objected very strongly to that um, particular choice. And we... Um, I'll, asked them if they would like to uh, write an article that basically called us out on it. And uh, Sid apologized to them for that. And although I stand apart from Sid on that, I defend our choice. I understand how strongly these women feel, these women athletes feel that by by honoring um, Martina Navratilova as a, uh, let's say, freedom fighter, we are you know neglecting the fact that she is standing in the way of transgender freedom. But again, I, I have a nuanced view and I, I think I'm entitled to it. So far, last I checked, we still have that right. Yeah. There's no view for nuance on Twitter or social media either. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on. That's like, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, we got to start our own thing, really. Um, let's go back, though, to the column today I wrote. It was kind of off a piece you wrote earlier in the week about this lawsuit going on in Connecticut against the Athletic Association there for their inclusive transgender policies. I mean, we've come so far in this country in terms of LGBTQ policies, but, you know, the headline said, you know, there's a war going on against trans student athletes. And that's not an exaggeration. If you look at all these states, there are at least 10 states now, I think, that are actively considering proposals that would bar 
trans people from competing in sports with their gender identity. And the thing is too, Don, they really frame it in terms of girls' sports. You know, they talk about we're protecting the sanctity of girls' competition, which, you know, I think is just a load of crap. But, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to call this a war, right? It's not alarmist. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And and, and there, was, there was a reporter who asked at the uh, Hartford News Conference that the uh, Alliance for Defending Freedom, which filed the federal lawsuit, they were asked, is this also uh, targeting trans boys? And they said, no, absolutely not. This is all about biological males, which is their word for trans girls. And not only is it a war, but there are going to be casualties from this war. The girls who are suing feel terrible. And as a mom, I got to tell you, I don't want my daughter or son to ever feel bad about losing. But I'm also not going to feed their ego to tell them that they are, because of their birthright, entitled to any kind of championship medal or ribbon or first or second place you do the best you can and i've spoken to coaches about this and coaches basically say look we don't look at first or second place we look at their personal times if they did their best personal time then they'll maybe win a scholarship or maybe we'll look at them as recruiting but it doesn't matter to us who gets first or second that's just ego stuff it's nice we all want to place first or second or third right but when i say it's a war that's going to have casualties these girls aren't going to kill themselves because they didn't win. Whereas, by constantly, constantly denying the existence of trans girls as girls, by defeating them in their minds, by calling them what they aren't, by targeting them for discrimination, there is a much higher risk that suicide ideation and self-harm could happen. And this is a proven statistic. Transgender children and other LGB children take their lives or attempt to do so at a 40 times uh, rate compared to the average teenager. That, that is They're so, gonna, yeah. you know, it, it's just, it's, it's criminal. Oh, it, it, it is. And, you know, I would say that the choice is like, you know, youth sports are supposed to be about participation, feeling comfortable amongst yourself experiencing, you know, playing on a team. I mean, that's really, are we really going to deny the most vulnerable group of children anyway, the opportunity to to do that? It's just sick to me on its court. I mean, that's where I fall on it, just on its court. Can I just add, if trans athletes, girls, boys, men, women, if they won every single contest they entered, if every trans girl who ever competed against a cisgender or non-transgender girl always won. I mean, without fail. You know, I actually would probably say, you know, these people are right. It's not fair. But it isn't what happens. All the people who are against transgender rights do is they harp on the victories. They never talk about how many times they lose. And they lose a lot. Sid wrote a great story about how most often trans athletes don't win. But yeah, nobody wants to talk about that. I, I, explain that, though, because that is at the crux of this Connecticut lawsuit where these three uh, cisgender girls are suing this, the, the athletic commission saying they lost these track and field events to these transgender girls. Is there truth in that? What's the story? They did lose, but they didn't lose every single time. My uh, colleague, and you know her, uh, Carly, yeah. Carly Webb, Carly did a little research. And she found that two of the three trans, sorry, two of the three cisgender plaintiffs in the lawsuit actually beat and won championships against transgender athletes. So their argument falls apart right there as far as I'm concerned because the trans athletes, they're Terry Miller and Andrea Yearwood. They're seniors at two different high schools. They happen to be women of color. 
two of the three plaintiffs are white. One is a woman of color, young woman of color. They are um, not in agreement in terms of how well they do. But the statistics don't lie. The statistics show that Terry and Andrea win a lot, but they don't win all the time. And that's my only argument is if they won every single time, you might have a case to stand on. But can I ask you a question? Do you think Michael Phelps, when he swam, do you think the people, the men who swam against him felt that he had an unfair advantage because of his wingspan, Uh, because of, you know, his incredible uh, leg power? I mean, it's just his natural gift. It's all the calories he eats, really. I mean, you know, there's a lot of of in him. I, I, I am not an athlete. I sucked. <laughs> I sucked at sports when I was a kid. You and but me I both. Was, but I was imbued with this love for sports. And even though I didn't do well, I loved sports, and I still do. And for me, the thrill of sports is it's never fair. It's going to be a contest. We don't have a World Series where two equal teams play each other. We don't go to golf tournaments and see you know, eight men or women who are exactly the same. And the same with the Olympics. Right. We don't know. We don't know who's going to be the best. And sometimes the person who's the best loses. Well, sorry. And I'll say all these, all these men, and they usually are men. You know, the ones in my mentions. It's like you know, you're not. Are you re- really this big champion of women's sports? God, I didn't know that. When when next time? When's the next time we're going to the WNBA or checking out the NWHL? I bet you. Uh, I bet you the answer would be, oh, let me get back to you on that. So you know. <laughs> Very true. And I have, I have a friend who's a transgender icon. She's a scholar and an author, and she teaches up at Barnard here in New York City. And she always responds to these um, transphobes by saying, since when do you care about women's sports? When have you ever cared about they women's sports? They care about competition, Don. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I have to ask you, um, as someone who's also, who's been reviled in Boston, I'll entertain this. What is... Uh, What's your least favorite thing about Boston sports fans? Come on. I'm an, I'm an accepting audience here. Um, first would be anything related to the streets because I can't find my way around Boston it's even tough. with GPS. Yeah, yes. So so getting to the sporting event is the first thing. Um, I remember taking my oldest son to uh, Fenway for a wonderful uh, game with the Red Sox. And leaving my house in Connecticut where it was 50 or 60 degrees yes. and getting to the field and it was like 25 degrees. And Beautiful. <laughs> um, I, I sometimes forget how much different weather is in Boston compared to Connecticut and New York. Um, the least favorite thing about Boston sports fans, I would say um, my favorite thing would be how much they hate the Yankees. Yeah, I, I hate the Yankees too. That is one thing I've held on to. And I think the thing I, I, I dislike the most is um, they tend to be – don't don't get mad at me, but there's more racists among Boston sports fans than I find among New York sports fans. What do you mean? Adam Jones was never called the N-word. He made it up. <laughs> Telling you, I, I took calls, Don, for years with people saying that. Years. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, you know, it's funny. I always love how white people seem right. to be the arbiter of <laughs> <Yes>. racists. <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard it. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. It isn't like you know the the chef gets to tell the food uh, the health inspector. Well, no, I I ate it. It was fine. <laughs> I've never been called the n word. I've never been called the n word at Fenway Park. So how could Adam Jones have been called it? It's like okay, right, you, you know, right. you're like. And you, also, I've got to you know. say that um, the fact that some people feel that they are entitled to use the n word because people of color sometimes use the n word 
Yeah. It also well, doesn't fly with me. They can use it. Why can't we? Why? I think that's perfectly fair. Why not? Uh-huh. Yeah, not not in my book, unfortunately. And yeah. I would also say that I'm a proud Irish woman. I love the Irish. And I love Boston's Irish um, yes. uh, traditions. However, they don't always make us look very good. <laughs> I have not an ounce of Irish blood in me, so I am a perfectly oh, well, you, you, you can be a judge then. I will I, be I'm the... just saying, as, a, as an Irish woman, I wish that we could, we could maybe you know get that in line a little bit. It's... um. You know, my father had an expression. He was uh, a first-generation American. He said, you can always tell an Irishman, but you can't tell him much. <laughs> we'll work on that, Don. See if we can tell you more <laughs> next time. Thanks for stopping by and kikiing with us. I enjoyed my kiki uh, virginity, virginity yes, being busted, popped. and uh, thank you for that. Um, let's have you on the transporter room again, and I look forward to uh, listening this weekend. And please do join us on the transporter room every other Wednesday. And we're at uh, the transporter. Was it? It's transporter or M on Twitter. <laughs> you wonder why you don't have as many followers. It's because no one can even understand that you can't even say your account. How do you expect the people to find you? <laughs> well, I'm hoping I'm hoping I'll get some kiki blowback or kiki, kiki uh, wake. I'll, I'll, I'll get something in the kiki wake. The kiki blowback is strong. We'll talk to you, Don. Thanks. Take care. All right. Big thanks go out again to Don Ennis for joining us in the inaugural edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at Sports Kiki Pod. You'll learn to love the name. I know you will. You'll learn to love it, love it, love it. But as I mentioned at the top, if you have any ideas for a new theme song, I like our rock tune, but if you want something else, something a little kikier, let me know. At AlexRumor1 is my Twitter handle. You can email me as well. DMs are open. Uh, before we go, I also want to remind you, we have a great podcast network at OutSports. Every day, Monday through Friday, new shows are published on the OutSports uh, RSS feed, again, wherever podcasts are available. This Monday, you can check out Sid Ziegler's podcast, Five Rings to Rule Them All, with a very cool guest, Robert Dover, who, as far as we know, was the first publicly out gay athlete at the Summer Olympics all the way back in 1988. Now... He's focusing a lot of his time on politics, and he talked with Sid about why he's all in on Mayor Pete Buttigieg for president. Eh, we can't all be perfect. Don't worry. We'll turn him into a Bernie bro before it's over, Robert. Don't worry. But uh, no, Sid uh, does a great job with his podcast, Five Rings to Rule Them All, based around, you may guess, the Olympics and all the amazing out-Olympic athletes that we have, including Robert Dover, a trailblazer in 1988. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next Saturday with more kiki fun. Any guest ideas, let me know as well. I mean, above all else, much like OutSports is a community, I want this show to be a community, and I hope that we can, uh, I hope that we can do that going forward. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you down the line.